Welcome to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for the end of April 2021. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Leisure Suit Larry and the Land of the Lounge Lizards. This is Nick Diamond, and my game of the week is not XCOM, Enemy Unknown. And I am Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Anthem. Oh, McMaster Anthem is, is... Is that even still around? Could I boot up yeah. Anthem right now and fly around? I think so, yeah. They're trying, they've, they tried to reboot it a couple of times, I think, so far. Oh. Does it have, a, does it have a, like, a terminal death date? Is it, is it, on, is it on its last know. legs? Okay. I couldn't be bothered, you know. That's kind of how little we care about Anthem, I suppose, <laughs> at this point. At this point, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, okay, I'm going to start off because I have an embarrassing confession to make. Mm. <laughs> Just one? Just one oh, for yeah. this podcast. Just the one. I've got yeah. several to make, but today you only get one. And that confession is I've been playing Honey Pop 2. Now, I'm sure that neither of you upstanding young gentlemen knows what Honey Pop even is. I actually don't. Of course you don't, McMaster. Uh... Nick, you strike me as a fellow who has maybe peered into the darker corners of the internet. Do you know what Honey Pop is? So here's what I know. Mm-hmm. I know it's a like some kind of match type game or something, right? But match there's three. yeah, sure. God. If I but, I just but, went to but the then you game. undress women. Well, or undressing I... happens. You don't do it yourself. I would say. <laughs> I'm not I'm not logged into Steam on my uh, browser, and it won't let me look at this game because of, it can't check my age. <laughs> I think, Jeez. actually, I, I believe you cannot even uh, live stream Honey Pop on Twitch, if I'm not mistaken. Um, <laughs> it's, it's that forbidden. Twitch won't stand for it. So, yeah, oh, so... Lord. Nick has the basics of it. It is a match three. And I know of Honey Pop because uh, there was a time a couple years ago when I was messing around with a bunch of different match threes. There was a really cool one. I think it's called Ironclad, maybe, based on driving a mech around. And you have to match different shapes in the match three grid to keep your mech like fueled up and <clears throat> to load up its guns with ammo and... I think there was something about its mobility as well, and you needed armor points. Uh, And all of this goes back to, shoot, I meant to look up the name of it. There was that SSG Match 3 set in a fantasy universe where you would play different classes. Um, Do you guys know what I'm talking about? This would have been like 10, 15 years ago probably. Uh, No? It was like, you know, you could be like a warrior or a thief. And you went around on oh. missions on an overworld map. Last, and you... um, puzzle Quest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, McMaster. The Puzzle Quest series, oh, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, and those that was are just great. A they have a Marvel one now. I am not surprised. That makes perfect sense. And I'm kind of not yeah. – I'm, I'm not real happy you told me that, McMaster, because now I'm curious about it. Um, <laughs> 
So, but here's the deal with match threes, is that a match three is a perfectly cromulent, laid-back, low-brain activity that you can engage in while you're watching a half-assed movie in another window, or it's almost like doing a crossword puzzle. It's just a, it's an idle activity. And what Puzzle Quest did was put it in the context of a leveling up system and a loot chase and a, a fantasy RPG, uh, the trappings of a fantasy RPG. So here I am playing this mech game, and I see, because I'm fortunate enough to have a, a press account on, on Steam, so I can just click on something to look at it, I see that there is indeed what looks to be a porn match three called Honey Pop. <laughs> No, it doesn't cost me anything. I click on it, and I play it. And what was surprising about Honey Pop to me was that it was actually a pretty good match three. That's for one. But mm -hmm. for two, it was actually funny. Um, and it's why I referenced Leisure Suit Larry at the beginning of the podcast, is I remember as a kid seeing, oh, my God, there's a porn video game. What? And getting my hands on a copy of Leisure Suit Larry and being bitterly disappointed. There's no porn in here. It's just dumb jokes about an old guy trying to get laid. Uh, and and thinking what I and just feeling completely ripped off. Although I probably pirated it as a kid. I have no idea how I got a copy of that. Um, so I think that where Honey Pop takes off, it, it Honey Pop takes off where games like Leisure Suit Larry, I think, failed. In that, Honey Pop and Honey Pop 2, it's a bit of a spoiler here, are mm. not porn. And I'm going to explain this in a minute. They are not porn at all. They are lascivious, lewd, crass, titillating, sexually explicit comedies. And, and this is crucial, they are well-written comedies. Um, so my weakness, and we're going to talk about this in another one, uh, the game that McMaster is going to talk about here. Uh, I love well-written characters in a game. Uh, Agents of Mayhem, for instance, a lot of folks didn't like it, but a lot of what won me over in Agents of Mayhem was that it's got well-written, funny characters with personality. And believe it or not, and this is one of the reasons that I firmly believe that Honey Pop 2 is not porn, Honey Pop 2 has well-written characters with personality. These women are, obviously, they are uh, sexual objects, as well as being fleshed out, funnily written characters with personality. Uh, and I feel that that is one of the reasons that Honey Pop, although you can say many things about it, you can say that it's lewd, it's vulgar, it's, it's erotic or whatever. You can, you can ding it for broad stereotypes about anime, about strippers and milfs and all of that. Uh, you know, Anita Sarkeesian would have a field day pretending that Honey Pop is representative of all video gaming at large. Um, you can say it's going to be offensive to some people for its crass humor. All of these are objectively true observations about Honey Pop. But you cannot call it porn because these characters have context. Um, you know, porn, if you were to define it, porn is context-free, fetishistic focus on sex, or at least eroticism, 
at the exclusion of everything else. I mean, that's a definition of porn. And when you play Honey Pop, two specifically, I don't remember a lot about the first one, um, but when you play two, one of the things that you do is you, uh, you, you, you meet these girls and you talk to them to build up bonuses while you're playing the match three. And a really weird thing happened to me early on while I, the jury was still out on this. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is cute. I don't know that I would play it for very long. But you're talking to one of the women uh, who is a stripper. And, of course, she's got on. And, and all the artwork, by the way, super anime. Like, if anime is weird to you, and I think I've gotten past a point in my life. Like, I've just, by being into video games, I've been exposed to so much anime artwork that it's not as weird to me as it once was. Um, so this is a very Japanese style of artwork. Um, but anyway, so it's just a blonde stripper, super buxom, wearing like a leopard print bikini. Uh, another good thing, by the way, in Honey Pop, really, really good voice acting. Um, so the voice actress is doing this really deep vocal fry thing, and there's all these like lewd references and double entendres. And then at one point you're talking to her, and you can ask them questions. And as you fill in more information about them, you get bonuses during the match three game. So at one point, uh, and she can ask you questions as well. There's some back and forth. And if you, if you answer the correct answer, and it's never a straightforward thing, like there's some guesswork here, and you kind of have to pay attention to what the women are saying to get this right. Um, she asks you at one point, should I stop smoking? And all your answers are kind of jokey things. Stuff like, no, it makes your voice sexy. Or, no, I smoke a pack a day. Why would you? So you pick one of these. And she says, okay, I guess that's funny. But, you know, can I tell you, I've, I've got emphysema. Um, you know, I'm really having trouble with my lungs. And then it moves on and there's, there's more jokey stuff. But now there's an icon for, um, I think her name is Jessie. I can't believe I remember the, that now. But there's an icon of lungs on her data screen showing that she's got emphysema sure enough later too you figure what? out she's she's I struggling mean, i'm sorry go ahead i just of all the things this <laughs> emphysema of all the things right and well and and there are other blanks these are these are like they're the traits that you learn about that she's also mm -hmm. you find out later and this is not this kind of game but it's in here. You find out later she's struggling with depression. Uh, you find out other characters are either uh, sexually repressed or insecure or they're self-effacing. Uh, or like, they, they have these negative traits that you discover as well as normal positive traits like this one likes action movies. That one likes romantic comedies. This girl likes vanilla ice cream. That girl likes chocolate. Like, you find out these data points about them, and some of these data points are weirdly poignant. And they're one of the reasons that I feel that this game is not porn, because you would never in a porn movie be told that this character, this played by this porn actress, has emphysema. Like, that's not what porn is about. <laughs> That I don't is, know. That is <laughs> There's context. a lot of fetishes out there. I guess it depends on what you're into, sure. Um, it would be kind of a downer. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's, that's one of the discoveries I made here is that, that there is there, these characters have context, they're well-written characters, and they have personality. Now, here's the other important thing about Honey Pop that I imagine a lot of people would object to without knowing any better.
this being a sequel, it is about getting in threesomes with these women. In the first game, yeah. you're just trying to seduce them and whatever. You know, you get a picture of them naked if you win at the match three. And it literally just shows, here's a naked picture. and It's like concept art you unlock. It has no bearing on the game at large. You just unlock a naked picture. So here, you're trying to get in threesomes with these girls. But what Honey Pop 2 does, and you might not even notice if you're enjoying the, the game as much as I was, these are pretty sorry excuses for threesomes because... You are nowhere. Emphysema. I'm sorry? Emphysema. Well, I mean, that's in there as well. But these are sorry excuses for threesomes because you are nowhere in the picture. You are not involved in the least. I think it's sold as threesomes to just seem more titillating. But it's really about matching these girls with each other. There are eight, eight, ten, there's like eight women. And as you move around uh, from from day to day, the game randomly pairs them up. And you go and you meet with a pair of them, and then you test whether or not they're compatible. And if they are, you can then play the next level where you get them interested with each other. And if you do that, you play the next level where you go out on a date with them. And if you do that, you then unlock a picture of them naked with each other. And again... You're nowhere in the picture. There is not, pardon my language, there is not a dick to be seen in this game. Uh, it is all about getting these women to meet each other, figuring out if they're compatible, and playing matchmaker. This game is more like Jane Austen's Emma than like any porn game I've ever heard of. Uh, well, this has been the damnedest thing. And, and that's the thing is you would... You would <laughs> Jane Austen... <laughs> And you would never know from looking at this. You would never know from the way that they're trying to sell this, I, I think. Uh, and, and what's funny, too, is it's like when you play um, you know, a, a, a party game, like, like Pillars of Eternity, for instance, and you, you test different people in your party because there can be cute little interactions in the dialogue among them. And it's the same thing in Honey Pop 2. Like the way that the goth girl talks to the MILF is different than the crazy cosplay chick uh, talking to the, the business owner. Um, like they're, they're distinct characters who have distinct interactions. Uh, and frankly, I, wouldn't, I, I don't think I would ever really say this about any porn, but frankly, Honey Pop 2 is kind of freaking adorable. Uh, if you can accept that it is also crass, lewd, lascivious, all of that. Um, and most importantly, just to, to, to bring this to a point, it is a really good match three. Uh, it really does. It's not just blindly. It's, it's not like a you know peggle or something where you're just sort of brains off shuffling things around. It really does demand that you look at the little upgrades that you have to use. Uh, you look at which girls prefer which types of interaction. Uh, you look at the grid, you sort of look like, okay, can I build up some sentiment over here to unlock some romance over there, to bring in stamina up here, uh, and I want to avoid the little broken heart things, uh, when should I use this power or that power? Um, I have no idea who the developer is, and I even tried to look this up, and I, I guess because it's putatively a porn game, 
people are kind of cagey about outing themselves. I don't know what's going on, but I think it's a one-man development. Uh, and I feel like he's made a good match three with funny writing and memorable characters with personality. And furthermore, I would say it's not porn. So there you go, Honey Pop 2. So uh, I, I got to know. So yes. The girl with emphysema. Yes, Jesse, the stripper. Does the emphysema link up in some way with another girl? Like, does that clue help you link up to someone else? It basically, Nick, gives you uh, anytime you play the match three, you you have 30 moves. And if you haven't reached the score that you need to reach, which gets higher and higher as the game progresses, uh, you fail. And there's no like fail state. You're just going to have to try again and hope those girls match up. However, the more you know about a girl, the more moves you have to finish that grid. So knowing that she has emphysema means, in a way, I have more time to hook her up with another girl. Uh, so yeah, it does have a gameplay implication. Uh, not specifically, like for intense, like her depression is no different from her emphysema. They both give me extra moves when I play the match three grid. Um, so there's nothing specific to emphysema other than the actress is using a vocal fry. She's got a very deep voice. Uh, you know she likes drinking and cigarettes, by the way. Like part of what you do is you figure out which gifts go to which girls. Um, but specifically, and as far as I know, I haven't finished the game. For all I know, I, I mean, maybe she dies at the end. I don't know. Uh, but as far as I know, specifically, there's nothing about emphysema that makes Jesse different from Abia or Sarah or Brooke or Candace. Yeah, so... She's like a real duty-free store kind of girl. Well, McMaster, I didn't mention uh, this game mm. all takes place on a resort island called Inna de Puna. Oh, boy. Oh, shit. I've been there. <laughs> That's the kind of humor you're in for. I mean, again, it's dumb, crass <laughs> humor, uh, but uh, I find myself laughing at some of it. Inna de Puna, oh. I, I was like, okay, that's dumb. But there, there are better jokes than that, I promise, in Honey Pop 2. So. Well, I would like to to address your uh, definition of porn by reading yes. a quote. I hope it's not from, from the Supreme uh, Court, but go ahead. No, no, no. It's from someone I trust more, uh -huh. <clears throat> Jackie Treehorn. Yes, regrettably, it's true. Standards have fallen in adult entertainment. It's video, dude. Now that we're competing with amateurs, we can't afford to invest in little extras like story, production value, feelings. People forget that the brain is the biggest erogenous zone. Of course, you have to take the good with the bad. The new, new technology for instance, to do very exciting things in interactive erotic software. Way over the future, dude. 100% electronic. And I can hear Ben Gazzara's voice in my head as you do that. Very nice, Master. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why, hey, man, he was addressing it, you know. Right. I, yeah. I can picture the uh, girls on the trampoline in the background. Oh, who oh, can't, yeah. Nick, right? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Any red-blooded American male. I deal in publishing, entertainment, political advocacy. Which one's log jamming? <laughs> so it's going to be one of my favorites. All right. Well, uh, Nick, I was hoping that uh, I was going to win the award this episode for picking the game whose name sounds most like an artificial sweetener. But, Nick, you're going to give me a run for my money with what you're playing uh, this week. What game would you like to tell us about? Well, I think my game sounds more like the cure for depression 
<laughs> that ah, uh, yes. your, your stripper character might have, right? See she your needs doctor to get out before. Before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Wait. I am playing uh, Solasta, Crown of the Magister, which is, I, I think, a pretty terrible name, but, uh, I mean, it is yeah. what it is, right? Uh, this is a, a fantasy role-playing uh, game made by, uh, it's kind of a new indie studio, but it's made by one of the co-founders of Amplitude, oh. uh, or right? So The French guys who did like yes. the Endless Legends series. Yep, okay. all the Endless, Endless Legends stuff. So he broke off, uh, he started his own little studio, made a little prototype, hired some people, and then uh, is working on this. So Solasta, Crown of the Magister, is a Western fantasy RPG. Uh, it uses the Dungeons and Dragons uh, fifth edition rule set uh, for uh, kind of all of its underlying mechanics, um, and it's in early access. I know you hate Ugh. early access, but it is early access. It is coming out, uh, publishing, I guess, launching, whatever you want to call it, uh, in 1.0 status on uh, May 27th. So, oh, that's uh, really right around the corner, actually. Oh, I didn't realize that. And the early access, if I'm not mistaken, Nick, it's it's the first act of the game, and the other two acts will be out on May 27th, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So this game here. So I came into this game uh, with the history of you know kind of all the other fantasy role playing games in an isometric perspective. Uh, based on Dungeons and Dragons, right? So the Neverwinter Nights, the Baldur's Gates, the Icewind Dales, play, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, the Pathfinder games, even right, which are kind of offshoots of it. Um, so I, I fired up this game expecting uh, that uh, kind of uh, that same kind of framework, and for the most part the overarching stuff in the game is very much that right you've got your orcs you've got goblins you've got elves you've got dwarves you've got fighters rogues wizards you know whatever right all the creatures that you would expect in D&D the you know the game even starts with you like meeting companions in a tavern and then a mysterious guy comes up and gives you all a mission and <laughs> hires you to go check out this place. And you go, you know, you wander off to go check it out. There's an overland map where you, you know, click to go to a destination and your little party symbol goes tick, 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 tick across the map. And maybe you run into a random encounter or whatever, right? It, it's all there. All the stuff that you kind of expect with a fantasy role-playing game based on D&D. Can I ask a question out of turn? This might be what you're getting towards, though. Yeah. Like, so far, everything... Why Why would you play this? So here's the difference. The difference is, when you get into the tactical battle side, unlike all those other games that I mentioned, this becomes Fantasy XCOM. Well, wait, how is that not like, for instance, uh, Divinity Original Sin? Well, the difference with... Divinity Original Sin is, uh, if you remember, when you go into the tactical battles, right, it becomes turn-based and et cetera, right. uh, but there isn't a grid for you to follow along, right? There's no explicit 
you know, here is a block that you stand in. Here is cover that you get behind. Uh, he, you know, here is this particular space that you need to get to to fight this other guy, right? You, you just sort of get a radius that you can move in. Uh, you can make it somewhere within this radius. You can fire your spell somewhere in this area, right? Which may or may not include a bad guy. In Solasta, in the XCOM, uh, it's very discrete blocks. Like, you have, you know, five squares worth of movement that you can do, and then you can crouch behind waist-high cover and fire off your spell. Or you can, you know, try to rush up and use a bunch of action points to get up to uh, the bad guy and then stab them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's... It's been pretty interesting because what they've done is they've blended that XCOM approach with the D&D mechanics, uh, and they've kind of, they've sort of, ex, I don't know if you'd call it exploit, but they've, they've really dived into the fantasy kind of aspect, the 3D verticality of the fantasy uh, rule set, right? So... Another difference would be in Divinity Original Sin, let's say, if there's a wizard and he's firing at you from up above, he's probably firing at you from a ledge, right, or a cliff, and you're on the road down below. In Solasta, there's an element where the bad guy, for example, the same wizard, would cast some kind of flying spell on himself and just fly above you and start mm. raining hellfire down on you. That does sound very XCOM-y, but like minus a jetpack rationale. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it It is very... Uh, the approach is very XCOM-y. That, that tactical combat stuff is very, uh, very much in that vein. The Phoenix and the XCOMs and, you know, all those kind of... Uh, Games where it would be more focused on shooting. It, it even has, down to, uh, like XCOM or Phoenix, it, it even has the, uh, oh, you're you're hitting a guy and it's some kind of heroic shot or whatever. It does that hero zoom in. <laughs> it ah, shows right. you like, the like ah, oh, he got shot right in the head. <laughs> a little cinematic, turn-based cinematic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll even do that. It'll even do that. Now, the warning I will say is that if you want a fantasy role-playing game where it has a lot of story and dialogue and that, you know, that kind of Baldur's Gate interplay that you talked about between your characters, right? this is not the game. Are the characters, like, scripted? They, they, they're, they're, like, pre-existing characters, or do you roll up all your characters? You roll up all your own. Uh, they do okay. have interactions, but they're... And I, I, I don't... I, I, it, I don't want to. I don't want to set up an expectation, but <laughs> it's literally uh, a lot of it is. You see something, you click on it, and then you go to a view where it just shows your four characters standing in a line, looking at the thing, and then they will turn their heads towards each other as they talk, uh, and just deliver oh, like yeah. these canned lines at each other, right? Where it's so oh, I was. <laughs> I, was, I was gifted this game by somebody. and Because um, I will say, I played... McMaster, my other question about this game was going to be, whereas I asked Nick, why are you playing this? My question to you, McMaster, would be, why aren't you playing this? 
Um, you are. Uh, sort of. Uh, I'm. I don't think I have the uh, current fortitude to play Celasta, uh, and I'll tell you why. The uh, voice acting <laughs> is something that makes me want to punch myself until I'm deaf. No, it's bad. So, it's yeah, bad. it's really bad. Um, well, that's surely just placeholder where... for early access. They're gonna they're gonna polish oh. that up before the release. No, I'm sure. I, Ooh, I it's don't so bad. <laughs> like impressive. Um, I I had a hard time with it, but but yes, sorry, go ahead. No, I I, I agree with I, I agree with uh, McMaster. It's it the the VO is terrible. Uh, what cinematics there are are pretty bare bones, pretty bad. Um, the st- the story, and I use quotes, <laughs> is, a- and again, it's early access, so maybe there's a wonderful story later in the game, but <laughs> what is there is not uh, great. It, it doesn't step anywhere out of the tropes of like a, you know, a teenage dungeon master running you through a campaign, right? Where like literally, hey, you guys meet up in a tavern. Okay, Swarthy <laughs> McSwarthy Evilo comes up to you and <laughs> buys yeah. you a drink and gives you a mission. Well, what do you want to do? You know, like yeah, of course I'll take them. Like like the dialogue choices you get, the few times you get a dialogue choice, right? They, they'll boil down to things like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Please tell me more. Or I think I've heard enough. Great, let's go. And you're like, that okay, my, well, that was my cool. favorite option. <laughs> I heard enough. I've, I've heard enough. I <laughs> Let's that just go. <laughs> so definitely then, not a not lot of choice consistent. and consequence. It sounds like. No, yeah, it's it's not, and then it's not even consistent. Like, uh, I've got a I've got a little dwarf fighter character in my party. He started with the, uh, I think, very typical dwarf type VO, right? Where he's gruff and he wants to fight all the time and have fun or whatever, right? And he's like, yeah, I've heard enough. Let's get to the fight and get some monsters. And then he went up to this area where there's monsters and there was a little cinematic where they're all standing in the line talking to each other and the, you know, the paladin's like, okay, this is what we came for. And then he's, oh, looks like a lot of them. We should run away. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Nick, yeah. I will say I had no idea you had in you such a wonderful dwarf fighter voice impression. Oh, yeah. oh. But I will say I think you need to work on your paladin voice. Mm. <laughs> but no, but kick-ass dwarf good. fighter. I like that dwarf fighter. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the story is bad. I, I That's all I can say right now. The story is bad. Um, they've obviously poured all their love and resources into the tactical battle part. Uh, so if you're coming for that, great. Grit your teeth and just click through the story stuff. <laughs> so I looked briefly, Nick, at the uh, there's a, a Pathfinder game. Uh, it's called Pathfinder colon the something of the thing or another something. What is <laughs> I'm pretty sure oh, I got pretty good. I got close. Um, yeah. But but my my overwhelming sensation looking at what little of that game I saw was. These guys love the pen and paper system, and they really want to implement like all of the detail from that into their video game. Uh, and I, I gotta respect that. Uh, is there a sense for that with like what does the fifth edition D and D rules bring to Solasta? Is 
is there some of that same love of an obvious pen and paper system? Yeah, I do get the impression that they they know the rules very well. At least somebody on the team must know the rules very well. I'm assuming the the the, the guy that owns the company. <laughs> they they really do love the rules. Um, they seem to have really dived into it and taken some unorthodox approaches to you know translating that rule set to uh, a tactical game uh, for you know video game approach. Um, I think they have a love for the rest of it as well. The, you know, all that non-combat stuff. I just don't think they have, you know, they just don't have the budget. They don't have the resources. They don't have the, the, maybe the skill or the time, but they, they just don't have it within their company right now to do that stuff. So they've just concentrated on the things they can do. Right. So one of the things they're doing is they're putting in, um, like there's a, you know, there's a user creation system, right? Where you can make your own dungeons and share them with each other and whatever, right? It's it's kind of, you know, that here you go. Here's your 40 hours of campaign content, uh, which, you know, is passable, good, I guess, good enough, whatever. And then, hey, if you just want to fight more endless battles, here you go. Here's your Here's your creation tools. Go nuts, guys, and share them on the Steam Workshop and, you know, have at it. Right, right. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think of in terms of Div- Divinity Original Sin uh, is all the cool environmental interaction stuff that they built into that combat system. Uh, obviously, XCOM has destructible terrain. That's uh, a hallmark of that combat system. Uh, is there anything going on like that in Celesta? Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of terrain interaction and destructible terrain. Uh, okay. There is less of the uh divinity uh like the elemental stuff right, right so right. you know, i mean there's obviously you know what would a D game be without pools of lava right so right. <laughs> that happens but there isn't the you know oh i throw a fireball and now there's a big pool of fire on the ground for you know an hour or whatever <laughs> Nick, Which, have you run into any mind flayers or beholders yet? No, no, not yet, not yet. Which I, I here's the other thing. I don't know. So, Solasta Crown of the Magister is also based. The story, at least in the world, is based on their own stuff. So it, it isn't using like the default what? Dungeons and Dragons setting. Yeah, you're not gonna Wait. run into. Elminster or Drizzt or any of those people in here. Why um, would you license D&D without all of that stuff? Well, I don't know if that's a choice they made or if that's a... Oh. I, I suspect it might be because of course, you know, you've got the other <laughs> big game that's that's being worked on, right? Which is Baldur's Gate 3. Right. Which they have like great full Mouser. license. So, right? Yeah. <laughs> So maybe they're not allowed to use certain things that uh, perhaps Baldur's Gate 3 has some sort of exclusive claim on. Yeah, I think I think that is the situation. Like quality voice acting and quality. <laughs> well, there's definitely there's yeah, definitely they have a, a budget trouble. difference. I mean, there's definitely. <laughs> I mean, the the diff- even from right from the beginning, even in their early access states, if you play one hour of this versus one hour of Baldur's Gate 3, right? And I don't want to get into the mechanic di- mechanical differences because there's a whole debate between which one's better as far as that goes. But 
just from the production value, right, and the story direction, there's Solasto, which starts you in a tavern, and then you go, you know, I think one of your first combat encounters is like a couple goblins or something. Ridiculous, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then, you know, there's Baldur's Gate 3, which starts with like a gigantic battle in the sky with like <laughs> dragons and Jesus. mind flares. And <laughs> the, uh, the production quality on Baldur's Gate 3 is outrageous. It's it's like, it really is. They, they went all out. Yeah, yeah. There's a huge difference right from the get-go. And you're like, okay. So <laughs> it, it, I, I guess it's it's sort of a good way to break you into the, you know, the idea of, okay, this is what I'm going to expect in Solasta, right? <laughs> well, wait, in Baldur's Gate 3, are you using your Baldur's Gate 2 characters? No. No. Oh, what? You can't call it Baldur's Gate 3 if I can't use my characters from Baldur's Gate 2. Uh, I, you, you, you what can. the hell are you talking? <laughs> you, you you can. You just you just put your you know you just put your branding on it and say it's Baldur's no, Gate. No, I object. If I've played all the way through, and I'm back on Baldur's Gate one, so I'm glad you guys have warned me in advance. But if I play all the way through Baldur's Gate one, I get to take my characters into Baldur's Gate two, right? Yes. Yeah. So That's... if I play all the way through Baldur's Gate two, that would be like playing Mass Effect three, and I can't use my Commander Shepard from one and two. I, I, or I'm, Mass Effect Andromeda, you can't use Shepard either. There's no number on that, McMaster. It's not <laughs> words are different number. than numbers. <laughs> there's a silent number. <laughs> a silent number. I like that. Is, yeah. Wait, yeah, I'm actually. Uh, this is. I'm really taken aback. You cannot. Baldur's Gate Three is not a continuation I mean, of your characters from Two. Dude, really. The, the, yeah. I, know. Like I mean, not as far as I know. <laughs> you can't. Ugh. Like you. It's. How how long ago was Baldur's Gate 2? <laughs> I mean, honestly. I don't know, but it's got the number on it. Two leads into three. Three is preceded by two. I mean, spoilers, but, you know, Baldur's Gate 2 is ending. Whoa, 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 don't spoil the end of Baldur's Gate 2. I'm still in one. I, mean, I don't think there was anywhere to go if you were that character, right? <laughs> There's well, a lot, it, yeah, it's like... Then the why animal. would you make a Baldur's Gate 3 and not Baldur's Gate Andromeda? <laughs> Because this is an outrage. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> this is an outrage. I demand my money back for Baldur's Gate 3 before I buy it. Oh, my God. We know you're not going to be happy unless it's Baldur's Gate Hooney Pop. So. Okay, oh, that yeah. I would play. <laughs> that it's I would a new play. Baldur's Gate match 3 that's coming out. Oh my god, no, well, you guys, I'm, I'm a lot less keen now to play Baldur's Gate 3 eventually one day. Um, I guess that does, that means I don't have to finish 2 to play 3, though. Uh, wait a minute, is the storyline connected? I don't think so. I mean, this I... Is, this is a I massive imagine, fraud being perpetrated on video gamers. I would I'm, imagine because they take place in the same land, that D&D default land, uh, you'll probably run into... Yeah, it's kind of like characters. Baldur's Baldur's Gate's a specific setting for all the games. It's like Forgotten Realms, you know. Well, that's fine, McMaster, but three is a specific number that comes after two. (laughs) What? Why would I even argue that? (laughs) (laughs) That's a little misdirection. Huh? All right, all right. Well, that's the thing. I guess I don't have that problem with Solasta, do I? No. Not like I'm expecting. No, you do not. Nick, I have one final question for you. What is a Solasta? Oh, I... <laughs> well, it's the crown of the Magister, of course. Oh, so the crown has a specific name? Okay. No, I don't think that's... I I, I don't oh. think there's a... It's not a literal crown, Tom. It's 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 the oh, crown yeah. of the Magister. So, 
Yeah, sure. Is Celasta a place? Is that where we're dancing around here? Is that the name of the land? I don't well, it's for the it's for the magister. You know, I'll say that you've made me want to actually push through to get to some of the gameplay stuff because it's like I literally it wasn't fair of me, but I started the voice acting started and I was like, I alt afford. I started. It was. It's, <laughs> it's really I know. rough. It's really really rough i I, like that first scene in the tavern because it's it's (laughs) sort of they sort of mix a tutorial in with it right where each you start in the tavern and it's like hey i'm benny the dwarf or whatever and here's the adventure i was just on and and then you go to a little tactical screen and you have benny the dwarf and he you kind of show him how to move right oh this is how you move this is how you climb up an obstacle this is how you push over in this blah 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 blah. and then the your someone else on your team says oh that's interesting you know i was at this place and then you go to that tactical screen it's like oh i have to fight a couple bandits to get my way out of here right so it's it's sort of a tutorial but the whole time it's the worst vo ever (laughs) it really is it's It's like bad I I and I feel bad saying these things because like yeah hey man making games is hard uh but if you're going to be a D&D game that's released at around the same time as another D&D game it's going to be beg for comparison yeah and I mean to the other direction Baldur's Gate 3 gets dinged for its divinity engine stuff more than being D&D which oh, I absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Larian second three. Yeah. And it's totally what would happen if AD and D was in the Larian engine. Uh, so it's, it's right. pretty uh, interesting. I like it actually quite a bit. And, and they do a lot of interesting stuff with the fifth edition classes that I haven't, I haven't messed with uh, Solasta enough to check or to know, to know. So, you know, it's really not a fair comparison, but man, that voice acting really hit me. Well, you can probably turn it off and just read subtitles. Or, you know what? Invite Nick over to your house to do his, his uh, dwarf fighter voice. Oh, right. yeah, you can just right. read it for me. That'd be fine. Right. You turn down the audio, and then I'll just sit next to you and just whisper in your ear everybody's dialogue. Yeah. Well, right. now you made it creepy, Nick. Just do it full voice and not in my ear. Just, like, uh, sit people, behind me and read this. Here's the deal, Tom. I'll yes. do the same thing for you, but with Pop. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you made it really weird. Now I'm very uncomfortable with this. Uh, uh, <laughs> if you I'll want to ever it, see me top off, to. <laughs> <laughs> you want to ever get a look at these gams, you better oh, match the jewels the right way. <laughs> McMaster, make him stop that. Oh, my God. It's terrifying. Okay, uh, Have I, I told you that I got the cough? <laughs> oh, my God. This is the worst. <laughs> I've I'm now traumatized. I already stage. thought dwarves are weird, but now I'm really traumatized. All right. I got IBS, but you don't <laughs> been worrying about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, no, they they really need game. to hire you, Nick, for Solasta. I mean, that's clearly, oh. uh, yeah, that's what needs to happen. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, Nick, you know where else you could get some great work? Where? Another game that could use some help with its voiceover. McMaster, why don't you tell us about what you've been playing? Oh, like yeah, just me. Uh, but yeah, it's a, a little game called Outriders. You know, and I'll say this. Uh, weirdly enough, I think the, the man's voice is better than the woman's voice. 
in this in this game because it's usually like the other way around. You know, it is not that way in this one. I, I don't know what's going on, but they're not all there. It's every performance is, is uh, kind of uneven. Um, I, I have yeah, I have been playing Outriders, cocaine. and I I don't I don't care one whit for any of the the storyline or acting or writing or voiceover stuff in Outriders, uh, any of it. I have to say, um, I made Tom watch a lot of it. You know, McMaster, that is true. <laughs> Everything I know about the Outriders backstory, because I had played a lot of it, skipping the cutscenes as quickly as I possibly could. I had gotten to. <laughs> Super high level character really? without In ever game, having yeah. seen any cutscene, uh, and then when I played with McMaster, he would not skip the cutscenes, and you have <sighs> veto power in multiplayer, so that's how I came to understand. Oh, that's who that is, and that's why that character is doing that, and this is what that one sounds like. Um, so thank you, McMaster, for bringing me the Outriders backstory. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it was so funny because like the second a cutscene would start, like the little vote thing would pop up, like Tom Pick has voted to cut, skip this cutscene. I'm like, oh no. It's muscle memory, no. McMaster. Just like hitting uh, reload on a weapon is just reaching up there and tapping that button as soon as the cutscene starts. Escape, escape. Yeah. Well, All right, well, it's, yeah. Uh, so, so McMaster, uh, tell us the basics about Outriders for uh, folks who may not know it. What what is this you're playing? Why are you playing it? What's the deal? Um, so I guess the, if you were just to see screenshots of this game, you would think it looks like the division or gears of war or something like that. Um, but it is a, it's a lot more than that. And I think that they didn't do themselves a lot of favors by not explaining that well, uh, before the game came out or even after the game came out. But it, uh, it's a game that, to me is like agents of mayhem in that you have to look at it like a Diablo game. You have to look at it like an actual kind of not, not a looter shooter, which is what the other people would call like something like a borderlands or something, but it's very much more like a Diablo game. You have world tiers, uh, that, uh, dictate the level and amount of experience and kind of loot you get. That you can go up and down with, depending on if the game is too hard for you or not hard enough. Um, there's uh, and and then there's the part that I think uh, a lot of people miss at first. I know I did. I think Tom actually pointed it out to me. Really, was that the 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 equipment itself is used to modify your abilities? Because while there's a lot of shooting in the game, the the real kind of like you know, shock and awe factor of it is the abilities. Uh, they do a lot of damage. They um, kind of like, they, they come back quick, you know. There's not like a huge cooldown for them. So you you end up with this game that looks like something where you should be hiding behind cover and popping out and shooting people, but it's really one that you should just be like, a Diablo game where you're running out there and you're smashing everything and using your abilities and making blood spray everywhere, uh, you know, something like that. But um, and that's that's kind of the long and the short of, of the systems, you know. You, you, um. So the the I think the thing that if I was able to tell somebody one thing about Outriders, uh, and I think what to me is the most trenchant thing about this 
game, in terms of communicating what it does, uh, is it's made by a, a Polish developer called People Can oh, Fly. Yeah. And these are the folks who did, way back when, they I'm pretty sure this is their first game, they made a game called Painkiller. And Painkiller was a deliriously nutso, just desultory, going around to crazy different locations, <laughs> fighting wacky different kinds of enemies with your own arsenal of crazy weapons. Uh, it was very nearly Ratchet and Clank for just how silly it was, but it wasn't cartoony like Ratchet and Clank. But it was just a silly combination of crazy weapons and crazy enemies in crazy settings. Uh, right. And people can fly. Eventually, EA published a game they made called Bulletstorm, and I feel like there was a really thick lacquer of EA corporate soullessness slathered over Bulletstorm. I love some of what was in Bulletstorm, but I feel like yeah, it was like more EA than people can fly. Uh, and so sure. now that they're working with Square Enix, who, for better and worse, has a lot less of an authorial feel when they publish something, you know, because <laughs> I think Square Enix published, and I know you like this, McMaster, but uh, their, their Marvel Avengers, I think, is a terrible design for an action RPG published by Square Enix. This which is clearly an action RPG, like you mentioned, is one of the best action RPG designs I've seen in a very, very long time, also published by Square Enix. And I think it's a matter of people can fly just getting their footing under them after Bulletstorm and dealing with whatever they had to deal with with Electronic Arts and just doing, again, a crazy weapons and powers, crazy enemies, crazy locations and giving you an act, a very smart action RPG structure in which to explore the combination of those three elements. Um, so uh, that's how I would put it. And, and McMaster, your mention of Agents of, of Mayhem, uh, one of the things that I really like for the most part, there are some exceptions and they really bother me, but for the most part, I really like how above board all of the interacting systems are in Outriders, and Agents of Mayhem was the same way. There was always some visual for any status effect. You could always look at a character's stat screen and see exactly what he or she could or couldn't do, uh, what kind of powers you had, what, what you would get if you upgraded. It was all very explicit and above board. There was none of this kind of, eh, just make things happen, loosey-goosiness. Uh, you had complete control over the systems. You were expected in Agents of Mayhem to get your fingers in there and make stuff happen and create character builds. And I feel like it's the same way with Outriders. Um, now, Outriders is very much... You have one character, there, there are four classes, you pick one at any given time, you're playing one of them. Um, but also the loot chase in Outriders reminds me, the combination of crazy weapons, crazy enemies, crazy settings uh, with a loot chase reminds me a lot of Shadow Warrior 2, um, which came out, I guess, a couple years ago, and had a very similar uh, gear-driven gameplay where the stuff that, I think his name was Lo Wang, uh, the stuff that Lo Wang would equip would determine yeah. what kind of build you were playing. And there's a lot of that in Outriders. It's very much, because it's an action RPG, based on combining synergies of skills and, and loot, and you can craft the loot and uh, make it work the way you want. It's all about 
just like Shadow Warrior 2, just like Agents of Mayhem, it's all about getting into these very clearly defined systems, getting your fingers in there, and making things happen. Uh, and I, I, I really like Outriders a lot. Oh, yeah. I actually do, too. Um, and, you know, I was playing the game. You go through it. You, you kind of... All right, well... As you're playing, you're you're unlocking these world tiers, which of course, uh, which not of course, they raise the level of everything around you, including the loot, and it raises the level of the loot that you're able to equip. So as you're playing the game, you're slowly, as well as gaining levels, you're getting better and better equipment, uh, better you know, better drops, just like any game like that. Uh, the big difference being that the items. When they drop, they have three different, or they can have three different tiers of mods on them. And one, when you uh, disenchant or just kind of whatever break down one of those pieces of equipment, you get to reuse that mod on other pieces of equipment. Um, and that adds, as Tom was talking about, like uh, kind of uh, some interesting interactions because uh, each class has. Uh, their own special. I think every tier one mod for every class is, is like just the straight mods to their skills, whereas the tier two mods uh, kind of vary depending on what they're on, like a gun or 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 whatever. Um, and the tier three mods are, are also some of them are geared directly towards skills uh, for your characters, and some of them are more general. So th- there's actually quite a number of things out there to play with. Um, and, and they uh, they only get kind of more interesting after you beat the game, which was like a big fear of mine going in. And when I started enjoying the game, I was like, oh, God, please let there be something to do after it's over. Uh, I don't want it to be this kind of just nothing, which, which happens a lot with those kind of games. But See, what happens – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Well, I, I just I just want to real quick take issue with uh, – because I know this is how most people think of it, uh, is you beat the game and then you've got an end game thing. But for, for me, right. and I think this is a very clear design intent here, I kind of don't really think like, – I, I think it's almost like Diablo where you play once through on story mode and then you've unlocked adventure mode. You just do crazy stuff and, and you're right. uh, building item sets. Like I kind of feel like – Outriders doesn't really start until you've gotten to that, and it comes along pretty quickly, I beat the game stage. Um, Defeating the game is simply a a matter of working your way through all of its different biomes. Uh, And they're they're laid out in in sequence, and there's a storyline, and there's side quests, and it kind of makes a very uh, half-hearted feint towards being like an open-world game where you can go anywhere and do different things. a lot of loading screens uh, breaking things up, of course, so not open world like you would normally think. Uh, but for me, McMaster, this idea of beating the game or finishing the game and then getting to expeditions, I think that's kind of the inverted way that it was built, and that is that opening part is kind of the long extended tutorial to get your character to level 30. Because once you get to level 30, it does. I think a really cool thing where you stop leveling and levels don't matter anymore. And that's where I think the game really starts, where you're having to really work with getting better gear, pushing up those world tiers. Um, Because it's really weird. You're you're seeing all this cool equipment that's like, oh, that's for level 40 or that's a 38. And 
you can never equip that plane normally because you'll never get to that level. You've got to unlock the capacity with those world tiers to equip things that are higher level than you. Um, right. So I feel like the game is just starting when you, quote, beat it or finish it. Sure, and uh, I agree with that. Um, there's a couple of way, ways that you boost equipment level, which once you reach end game, you reach something called expeditions. And expeditions are kind of like quick dungeons, where you drop in and you basically play one of the game's levels, uh, and a lot of times there'll be a boss-like character at the end not just like a an elite but like sometimes there's a themed boss at the end and, and real quick uh, again just to interrupt because i think this is important to establish these are not levels from the game there's certainly assets that you've seen before, oh yeah no no but all of the expeditions are completely remixed uh rebuilt areas um right so sorry so go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off Oh, yeah. No, no, you're fine. Um, absolutely. So uh, I just mean that in size, they're about the same size as one of the game's levels. So you you go through, and they're much tougher. Um, but it, it also has a time attack kind of uh, aspect to it, where if you beat it in a certain amount of time, you get a gold, then it's silver, then bronze, then whatever. And the better you do, the, the more chance, the better percentage chance, and more... Uh, options you get for the loot at the end of the game or at the end of the round so once you do these you once you beat like say for instance the first tier and you beat it on silver or gold or something like that it opens up the next tier and those monsters are slightly higher level and they drop slightly higher level gear and if you go and you do not finish one of them, when you hit retry or once the game is, uh, once you leave the match, there's a chest you can loot that will give you the stuff that would normally drop. Because otherwise, it holds all loot until the end and gives you this giant kind of like loot fountain. Um, but uh, you still get gear for failing, so that you you actually can can uh, level up to a point without feeling like you have to grind uh, any sort of currency because there is also a way that you can level up your gear via the mod screen uh, it just costs uh, rare currency um, and it can get really expensive I just think uh, of all the action RPGs I've played that are just so full of trash loot that I couldn't care less yeah. about. It's just, you know, sell it to the vendor, scrap it, whatever. I do find myself in this in-game stage of Outriders. Uh, everything I look at, it's like, I, I, you know, a lot of things I won't use naturally because it's tough to find something really good f for you. But everything right. I look at, it's like, do I want to scrap this for a mod? Because there's a collection element there, all right. the different mods. Do I want to scrap this for the little special shards? Do I not care about long-range damage? Okay, let me put this in the stash for my sniper character. Like, everything that I find, I'm looking at, and to some degree caring about, am I going to sell it? Am I going to scrap it? Am I going to give it to one of my other characters? Uh, right. And I, there aren't many action RPGs where I feel like I need to touch every piece of loot I get. I mean, there's a... There's a lot of loot churn in Outriders, and that's one of the reasons, too, that I feel like the game doesn't really start until you hit level 30, is because while you're working right. your way up to level 30, as with a lot of games like this, don't get attached to anything, because in 10 no. minutes, your gun is going to, your gun that you thought right. is kick-ass, that's going to be obsolete. But once you get to level 30, the things that you get attached to really matter, and you've got great sure. ways to upgrade it. And great things to do with the trash loot to help you either upgrade or further yourself somehow. 
right which is which is really good like in fact for the most part i i hardly ever sell anything uh, oh my god mcmaster i'm such a i'm such a doofus for i i didn't realize about the shards and stuff i sold so much junk <laughs> and i remember bragging to you about I having did. two two hundred thousand yeah. scrap and and now i look at that and i think all of those shards <laughs> yeah yeah i think at the time and i even told you i think at the time i had six thousand scrap because uh, i like never sell anything and i was i remember I just, hearing that and thinking mcmaster you're, you're missing out on all this great stuff you could be buying and only later realizing <laughs> oh wait no i'm doing it wrong <laughs> oh yeah no in a game like that god you know you turn equipment so freaking fast that oh yeah but the the things that I, I it's got like uh, the the battles themselves and the powers and stuff in the game have a lot of uh, good personality. It's a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of light lights and explosions and all sorts of craziness going on. And what they've uh, done with those, I I really do feel like they struck a really smart balance between gunplay and spell powers in that. There's only four classes, and at first I was like, what, only four? And each class only has seven spell powers. So at first I was like, that's really not that many. But it's kind of like, I forget what they were called in Diablo, like glyphs or something. But there were were ways that for each spell power, they had like seven variations uh, that, that had dramatically for the most part dramatically different functions for how they worked and what they did what situation you would use them in that's what the mods do in outriders my class might only have seven powers but each of those powers has from you know four to ten different mods that i can mix and match to make them work differently uh and it's just a really smart flexible system uh for what at that's, first glance seems really limited, and it's not. Yeah. And, and that's like we we haven't we've kind of just completely skipped over the actual class skills too, which is a skill tree that you can reset at. Um, oh right, right, right. Yeah. Well, so McMaster, those are yeah. So the skills are just because I've stared at these screens for so long, and I've literally. Like, I know I'm into a game when I break out a legal pad and start taking notes. So I've got, like, breakdowns of the weapon variants and the powers and stuff. So (laughs) those little class things, I forget what they're called, maybe class abilities, but skills are the big dramatic spell powers. But you're right, I forgot. There's a big crazy tree where you spend points to upgrade your character, and you can respect that at any time you want. Uh, right. And when you get to level 30, you've only – and I love this too – you've only got 20 points to put in that big crazy tree. So you have to carefully pick your path or work your way you know, halfway up two of the paths. Um, but I love the difficult choices that that forces. Yeah, I forgot about that. And- yeah, and it's like basically you have three trees, and each of the trees – and I'm pretty sure it's like this across every character. Yeah. It's like the top tree is a gun tree, the middle yeah. tree is like a survivability tree, and the bottom is a powers tree. Uh, so, you know, depending on what you're doing – like I've been soloing a lot of higher stuff, uh, just weird hours of the night um, – and so I moved a bunch of my stuff into the gun tree so that I can get a lot of weapon leech back and extra damage off of shotguns for my guy who can teleport behind people and shoot them. That makes a lot of sense. I can one-shot a lot of people. You get a lot of health back. Uh, but if I was playing in a team, it makes all those enemies harder. So I can't one-shot them. 
So yeah. I have to look at the you know the powers tree, which will gives just gives me a lot more uh, damage, you know, uh, so that I can move around the field, cause a lot of damage, and then zip away with the character I'm playing, Trickster. Uh, I've been really and, surprised, McMaster, at how soloable the game is. I mean, you and I have played it, a ton, and we even had like some third random guy join us once, and it was all the crazier. Uh, I've loved our multiplayer, but yeah, I feel like it's a perfectly viable solitaire game, like solo game. Oh, it is. Uh, I do think that certain classes are better for it. I think Technomancer and Devastator are probably the better soloable classes. Uh, just because Technomancer is long range, has lots of turrets and stuff. Uh, and Devastator's got a ton of hit points, and everything they do turns them, like, adds to their armor. I but will the say. Other end, yeah. Kind of contrary to your point, McMaster, I got super spoiled playing my Technomancer with you because you were really good at keeping people from bothering me, so I could just <laughs> hang back and pick things off with a sniper rifle. So when I did solo my Technomancer, I had to work around it, but I was like, why is this so much harder? Oh, McMaster's not <laughs> taking the heat off of everything. Right, yeah. You know, and also, actually, McMaster, yeah. you playing the Trickster, the Trickster has really cool, and I, I love this in a video game, and so often it is a casualty in multiplayer, but not in Outriders. The Trickster has a lot of really cool slow-motion death gimmicks that yeah. are so much fun to hang back and snipe things and watch. Like, you can individually slow, and other characters have ways to do this, but the Trickster has a ton of ways to do it. Or you can make a slow time bubble, and I can snipe things in there. Or I can just be picking off other things while I'm watching you, like, create these, like, really gory, dramatic, slow-motion explosions where bones and rib cages are <laughs> flying out of blood squibs. And uh, it's just a gorgeous game when it just comes to this crazy tableau of things killing other things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so fast paced and so, uh, deadly, I guess yeah. it's, uh, it's not a lot of, uh, you're not a bullet sponge for sure. And certainly when you get to higher levels, uh, most of the enemies aren't either. And so I, so explode. I, I did an experimental thing where I just turned uh, the difficulty down and then I turned off all the HUD elements. Um, and this is kind of a way that you can, I think, just appreciate the art design of a game and just run through, take your time, see how things react, and also look at the AI, like how the AI works for the different oh, yeah. characters, which is a great way like to look at sub-bosses and stuff, is turn the difficulty down, how's he going to react, what's he going to do? Uh, but with all the interface elements off, I, I really feel, I mean, partly because it's just a bunch of different wacky random biomes I really feel it's a great-looking game. Um, uh, you know, it may not have the aesthetic consistency of something like Destiny or whatever, uh, but just as just crazy settings and weird monsters, man, I think it's gorgeous. You know what? It's visually stunning, Nick. Is it? Yeah. So visually stunning. Oh. <laughs> So, Nick, why aren't you playing Outriders? Because it does seem like – it seems like a Nick Diamond game. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I'm i going to play it. Uh, I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, and and honestly, I, I had heard a little bit of the launch woes, and I, you know, I, 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 I just kind of made the decision to stay away for a bit. Eh, wasn't a fan. Yeah, I mean, the um... – 
the launch stuff, the first few days are pretty rough for sure. Uh, it supports cross-platform pretty seamlessly too. I was very surprised at that. Uh, yeah. I thought, although it might be, I don't. Is that turned off? McMaster, when that random third guy joined us, he was uh, from another platform. Like it said, he was a cross-platform player. So I know they turned it off for a while, but it was obviously yeah. back on it's, when we had that guy join us. Yeah, it's been back on for a little over a week, okay. I think. Oh. McMaster, how does it compare? You probably. Actually, I don't know if it's true. I was going to say it. Nick, feel free to dispute this. I was going to say that uh, McMaster has probably played the most Destiny here. Uh, do we feel that that's correct? Oh, probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably. Yeah. How does it compare to <laughs> Destiny, McMaster? Oh, it's such a different game than Destiny. Destiny, to me, is uh, like all Bungie games. Bungie has a feel that no one else really does. Um so it's it's I don't know it's it's weird because you want to compare it because it's you know a shooter with powers and all sorts of stuff but it it really is just on the surface it, that's it you know it's like everything else is so different and now my my uh, first reaction after literally just like a couple hours of play uh I I and I even told you I uninstalled it I was like you know it's just a destiny clone uh like yeah. that that was my initial uh, snap judgment takeaway, and I I feel like I couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah. Well, it's strange because like it, it's almost like it's sold like that too uh, initially, but then I don't know. Once you get into a couple levels down past the intro stuff, it, it's it, really once you realize that the equipment mods and stuff make such a big difference, that's the turning point. I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, McMaster, I think uh, Outriders is something that I'm going to be playing for quite some time. Yeah, me too, actually. Hopefully, yeah. So, Nick, if you ever decide to join the Outriders bandwagon, we'll save you a seat. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, the shooting sounds good, but uh, how, how much uh, how much hooking up with uh, anime babes is there? <laughs> uh, there uh, is... Enough. There, there is like uh, uh, Chana. Like Chana did seem like one of those stupid, dopey male power fantasy yeah. characters, right, McMaster? Yeah. I only, I, yeah. yeah. I again, I only know about this because McMaster forced me to watch the cutscenes. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny. I enjoyed that very much. McMaster, can you give us a little bit of uh, of uh, Bunhead, the mayor of Trenchtown? Buttonhead Man, uh, his inspirational oh. St. Crispin's Day speech. Can you give us a little yeah. more selection of that? What was it? It was, go out there and fuck them <laughs> At which point, Nick, literally, men go running over the trench. Like, it's like World oh. War One. One of their wacky settings and, is World War One. Uh, men go running out of the trenches at that battle cry from the mayor of Trench Town. Yeah. yeah, I was. I really love uh, making Tom watch that part because we had to do that one several times. So was, <laughs> we're on a kind of a high world here, and I just I refused to skip until he said that, and then we could skip. I don't care. But does, you know, does anyone give a uh, does anyone give a dick tits? Anyone shout a dick tits at anybody? No. Oh, that's no. right. That was Bulletstorm. That right? was Bulletstorm. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, there really wasn't that much of this. Uh, there's there's a couple of cutscenes that I think are actually clever. Most of them are kind of goofy, but the one that always stick out in my mind is the the cocaine dude that I mentioned earlier. Oh god, he's do, he's doing coke constantly, and then he Edgy. calls you on the radio and he's doing coke. It's like, it, did he have to literally like hit the push to talk to, <laughs> so that you can hear him snort coke? It's like, what kind of asshole does that? <laughs> you know, I was going to say that the Outrider storyline, and again, I say this as someone who was skipping it as quickly as I could when I first started playing it. Uh, <laughs> now that I've seen some of it, and, and some of it too, like it'll set up when you're running through a transition where it's that transition is there so you can hear dialogue play. So some of it I've inevitably heard. But, Master, I can think of two jokes in Outrider that I actually enjoyed. Do, do you know what those are? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean, the only one that I don't think you would have seen that I really like is there's a side quest where you go to avenge this guy and you show up and he's got this girl held hostage and he's like, uh, he's like, you here for the girl? I'm like, what? No, I, I don't care about her. And then he pulls out a gun and he's like, Mr. Chang says hello is what he's trying to say. But the girl like elbows the guy and then he ends up shooting him. And he just starts bitching about how it blew his cool line. I really like that <laughs> cut scene. You know, he's like, I was practicing that the whole way here. Oh, that's <laughs> that good. That is laugh. cute. Yeah, like yeah, that. I thought that was pretty great. But uh, no, well, so what are the what are the jokes? The, the two uh, I was thinking of, one of them is when uh, Jakob is uh, beatboxing. Uh, oh God, he, yeah, that's funny. And then the other one, I think it's Jacob as well. Uh, when you've rescued the doctor from that stronghold where they're testing yeah. the medicine on people, and and I think it's Jacob says something about, uh, is there anybody else that you want to kidnap Zahid, Doctor Zahidi today? Like he makes some snarky <laughs> comment about a character who I think has been kidnapped a few times, and he's like, okay, oh, yeah. Does anybody else need to kidnap Zahidi before we move on? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which Just is like, like a cute hope. little self-aware moment that this guy keeps getting kidnapped. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. constant. Like, yeah, he get, he does, too. Like, that's even in the probably parts of the story you didn't see was that, like, that idiot's been kidnapped repeatedly. Well, I know you rescue him when you first meet him. I mean, you're getting the team together. and Yeah, right, right. So. Oh, God. And that's his backstory, too, is that he's been missing forever. And there's a lot of Nick. There's a, in case you care, a lot of lore you can pick up, like logs you can read, oh, yeah. uh, oh. little clippings. Um, yeah. Well, well, if you uh, do all of, um, if you do all of the side quests, uh, you get um, like a, a legendary or the the ten the ten side quests like little bonuses because you can hunt for like old Earth lore and oh. you can do like hunts and you can do like. Um, Master, give us real quick the premise of Outriders. What's the basic storyline? Like in 25 words or less, go. Um, Earth is doomed. They sent off a ship full of people. When they get to the new planet, all hell breaks loose, and there's a mysterious signal coming from somewhere. All right, you know what? Oh, wait a minute. You've got more? Go on. Oh, then you're cryogenically frozen. That's that's all it's going to happen. Wait, what? When do you get cryogenically frozen? You really don't know that part? Jesus, you really did skip everything, didn't you? Okay. Wait a minute. In the (laughs) storyline, you get cryogenically frozen. 
Yeah, at the very beginning. That's why. Where do you? Okay, yeah, I forgot you hit skip on everything. So, like, you know, after. Well, you don't know. So you're out in the woods, uh, in the forest, and like there's one of those horrible storms, and it hits you, hits a bunch of different people, but it hits you and makes you one of the altered, and uh, the other people are just like dying or whatever. You you try to stop them from calling people down to the planet. The dude refuses to, and shoots what? one of the characters' current games. This is all uh, news to me. <laughs> Yeah, one of the the characters you play with, it's his like grandfather or something like that, was trying to stop the dude, and he gets shot in the head, and you run up and shoot that dude in the head, but it's too late, and you're all injured, and you go back to wherever, and they put you in a cryo-freeze, and then you wake up 31 years later. So there's been 31 oh. years since the beginning of the game. That's not that long. Okay, I, you know, all right. You know, I think like a cryo-freeze nightmare should be at least 200 years. 31 years? Yeah, yeah, no, man. It's, yeah, that's not a big deal. I know, but I'm just saying, you know, it could have been longer. Zahidi saved you, you know, found yeah. you on accident. So. Frankly, I think Outriders really needs to up its game in terms of like cryo horror. That's just that 31 years. Yeah, who cares? Maybe that's the next expansion. You get frozen for 169 years just to make it even 200, and then it becomes real scary. Are there any, McMaster, do you know uh, post-release support play? I mean, Crystal Dynamics, the way they supported the Marvel Avengers game, I, I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if not word one has been said about further Outriders support. Um, do you know if that's the case? So, So what they have said, yeah, there hasn't been a lot, but what they have said is that they weren't – they were pretty honest. They like said, you know, if the game's not a success, we won't be able to make expansions for it. You know? <laughs> but they said if it is, and it and it was actually, it has been a critical oh. or critical and monetary success for them. Good, good for them. Uh, so they have said they they're not going to be doing small content packs. They're going to do um, like actual expansions, is what they want. All right, good. Yeah. That's good to know. I, I would hope that they, I would hope that they made their money back because, you know, I mean, they they got a fat bag of money from Microsoft, right? Oh, Wait, yeah. who did Square Enix? I mean, somebody did because it's on Game Pass day one. Yeah, for Series X, yeah. Ah. Um, you know, also, you know, I think people can fly did a Gears of War game too. So I mean, oh, they, they did? are probably Ew. very much just yeah, yeah, they did a. Uh, that's one of the reasons, like, when I started playing uh, Outriders, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see that. You know, because the <laughs> way the shotguns handle and you roll and stuff, it's just right. like a basic kind of Gears thing. <laughs> but but cover doesn't mean even remotely right. much in that game. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, most cover is destroyed, like, right. while you're hiding behind it. They don't want you to sit there. And you can't so, shoot flames from your fingertips in Gears of War. Yeah. So what no. are you actually outriding? So Outriders, I do know this. It's the name of basically the rangers that are supposed to defend the, the colonists from, I guess, right. external and internal threats. They're basically like sheriffs. Um, so they they like patrol, and they're the I guess they're the cops on this this planet. They're kind of they're explorers as well. They're explorers. like the rangers. Yeah. I think rangers is a good. Good description, because yeah. they're they're the first people to go in. They're the ones that are supposed to lead all the exploration, all the you know, and try to keep everybody safe. So they're like a mix of scientists and mercenaries, kind of. Wait, we're outriders, right, McMaster? Like, isn't that our characters yeah. are outriders? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The only person on this podcast, Nick, who's not an outrider, you. Me. Man. Yeah. Me. But again, yeah. we're saving a seat bad, for you, so if you oh, change yeah. your mind, we'll be here. Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> All right, uh, Honey Pop 2, Solasta, and uh, Outriders this week. Interesting blend there. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Jason McMaster and Nick Diamond. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Cheers. Cheers.